Well, uh, morning everyone. Good, good to see you all. Special welcome if you're visiting and this is your first time at Redeemer King. Um, as you notice, we do like to have an informal air. Uh, we sort of, we're kind of not an informal hair, informal air about what we do. And we love to hang out afterwards. So I'm not going to speak for a huge amount of time this morning because there's a splendid display of cakes which we want you to partake of. In fact, this church was started about two years ago on the basis of eating pasta and drinking red wine together. There are about five couples, and the food has stayed with us ever since. So we do want you to hang out after. This church, in a sense, is a family, and um, I'm now in my mid-40s, but first started going to church when I was 18. The only time I went to church before that, I think, was for a country and western dancing competition when I was seven, which was hideous, but I've never forgotten a dozy doe. But until I was 18, that was it, really. And um, just to give you a little bit of a precursor to who I am, um, I, I mean, I, apart from the Gideon's Bible being given out at age 12, which many of you know now I smoked because I was discovered it was made of Rizzlers. Uh, apart from that, I had no Christian contact at all until um, I, I fancied a girl who is still sitting in here now and uh, because she married me because I persuaded her through my unforgettable wisdom and charm that I would, I would be a good husband. In fact, the only reason I kept going to church is I kept asking her out, and it was like a big cosmic ambush. And so here I am now. And we're gripped together by our, our love and faith in Jesus. And that's why we come together every week. We, we worship him, and we try and learn from the Bible, and we do stuff during the week together because we've been gripped by the truth of who Jesus is. And Dan uh, mentioned the Bible a couple of times um, this book we try and base our lives on, this book, of which you'll know there's many different versions out there, but we, 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 we believe that, that that Bible has a huge depth to it and truth and consistency, and despite the fact there are different versions with subtle, subtle sort of changes of language, actually it tells us all about life and destiny and hope, and we try and live by that as best we can. So we're really in a sense of family just trying to navigate our way through this sensational adventure, roller coaster ride called life. In fact, I just, uh, for the sake of uh, those who went to the gathering camp last week, uh, 22 guys from this church joined with 2,300 other men in a field near Swindon, which rapidly turned into something resembling Glastonbury. It was uh, without, the, uh, without Coldplay but we did have a Blues Brothers band uh, for a big sort of men's festival where every year we try and gather guys together, well, quite successfully gather guys together, and we, we talk about Jesus. We do lots of other stuff as well. We have car displays and motorbikes and a, a bar that seats a couple of thousand, all that kind of stuff. But we, we celebrate Jesus as well, and as part of that, we heard some astonishing stories. This is for the sake of those who didn't go. We had uh, one guy speak who was called Laurie, who I've known for quite some time now, and Laurie was uh, uh, an ex-submariner, was a Commodore in the Navy. He swum the channel three times. He was the 86th member of Mensa. He cycled around the world one and a half times with his wife. He, he once took part in a, a global decathlon challenge where you only know what the events are when you turn up to each individual, individual event, which could include a marathon or clay pigeon shooting and all sorts of stuff and he was being interviewed on stage and he said I he said I entered this thing he said I'd never done clay pigeon shooting before and that was part of it and they said how did you get on he went oh I won that so he won that as well and he's done he was the global naval chess champion and all all kinds of amazing stuff 
And then he said, and they said, you're facing another challenge now. And he said, I am, I've, I've got brain cancer. And I've got tumors in my brain and in my lungs and in other parts of my body. And I've been given a year to live or less, maybe months, by the doctors. And he said, but I've made a 10-year plan. He said, I've made a five-year plan. And I've got a few weeks plan. And, and it's just amazing listening to this guy who's this supremely competent, humble man. He's also a member of the Magic Circle. He's just one of these guys who does everything, but he's so humble with it. But then started to explain his radical hope in Jesus. Had such an air of calm about him because he knew where he was going. And then at the same time, we, he gave his testimony. Then we, we asked men to come forward who were facing a challenge of that sort of gravity and severity. And a bunch of guys came down during the worship. We prayed for them, but one man came forward who I wasn't sure if he was going to make it, but I'd had a message on Facebook from a man called Des. And Des said, I've been diagnosed with terminal cancer, and the way it's looking, I'm not going to be alive when the gathering takes place, but I've never missed one, and I want to come. He said, and I built a kit car, and I want to drive my kit car to the gathering so you have a car display. He said, but I want to shake your hand when I get there. So I'm standing on the stage after Laurie has shared his story, and other men are coming forward, and this other fella came up, and he went, Des has come forward. Des is here. He went, yeah, Des is here. And Des had said to me, I just want to shake your hand. I want to make it to the gathering. So I got off the stage and he was there with his head bowed and his eyes closed. And he was, tears streamed down his face as guys were praying for him. I just put my hand into his hand to shake it. And he sort of looked up and we saw each other and he burst into tears and we gave each other a hug and prayed for him. It was a very moving, profound moment, actually. And then Laurie... Afterwards, everyone dispersed, and I saw Laurie and Des laughing together, both men facing death, humanly speaking, within a matter of weeks, laughing together and hugging each other and chatting about stuff. And I thought, I've, I've never quite witnessed the true sense of hope that those men carried at that point. I mean, I'd, I've not faced that sort of thing in my own life, but I'd like to think, as a man who's followed Jesus now for 25, 26 years, that should I get news like that, I'd be able to have the hope that they have. Because they're, they're, they're living out a hope that this life is not it, actually. There's a deep sense in them that life is more than that. See, Christianity is not just a psychological crutch. It's not like a Paul McKenna hypnotism book that helps you be a better you for 20 minutes. It's something that goes deep into our soul, actually. There's sort of a, a deep sense of hope that there is more to life than this. I want to show you uh, something in a moment, actually. Uh, to put this, uh, I had a picture uh, to put up. Um, I don't know if you can see that, but this was actually astonishing. Um, Every year at the gathering, I, I, there's, it's Friday to Sunday, and every year I host it. I do a bit of comedy hosting, believe it or not. And then I preach on the Saturday night, and I, I speak about Jesus in, in very definite terms. Ever since we founded the gathering camp, on the, on the Saturday night before I've preached, a double rainbow has appeared over the big top tent. Now, for those of you who are not into this kind of thing, 
choose to be freaked out or not. Last year, but before I preach, actually uh, playing contrails ended and started in the perfect shape of a cross over the tent. So we'll claim that one as well. We like that one. But every year, and you can't quite make it out in this picture, but it was actually a double rainbow. So I'm standing there in the side of the big top in the mud with all these guys out there. And my mate who organises the admin for the camp, the operations director, ran in and he went, Beachy, Beachy, there's another double rainbow over the camp. And I went, take a photo. So I didn't believe him. And he ran out, took a photo on his iPhone, and I looked at it, and I was like, it's lumping my throat. I went, oh, God is with us. Because you'll know that the rainbow in the Bible, at the beginning of the Bible, was a sign of God's promise that he's with us. So this beautiful rainbow appeared. And um, I didn't speak for that long because we'd had some astonishing stories from these guys. And um, so I just stood up and I explained about Jesus. And um, maybe for 15, 20 minutes. Might have been longer than that, but in my imagination it was 15 or 20 minutes. And um, I started to say to people, to these men who were there, as a public sign, if, if you want to give your life to Jesus, I was going to ask them to come forward and stand at the front so I shake their hands and we pray for them. But before I got to that bit, I could hear people clapping and cheering. I thought, why are they clapping and cheering? My eyes aren't very good, so it's a big tent and I couldn't see down the back of the tent properly, particularly because my left retina had been burnt out by the spotlights. So I, I couldn't really see. But then I noticed these people coming forward. Before I'd even said would you come forward to commit your life to Jesus Christ, make a public declaration? These men were streaming forward. And after that, we got these amazing stories. I think Dan read one out last week, but for the sake of those of you that are still at the camp and wouldn't know this, this shows me that this is not just a psychological phenomena. I mean, believe me, if you're in the atmosphere of the camp, you'd know it's not a psychological phenomenon because there, there's no sad music playing. It's just you're knee-deep in mud and it's cold and pretty grim, really. I mean, it's a bit like SAS selection and songs of praise all combined. So um, one text came in. Last Saturday night, I felt the earth shake beneath my feet. My legs became like jelly and tears started to stream from my eyes. I felt like I was in the middle of an earth tremor and the noise of the tent was amplified so that the words shook through me. I heard the loudest voice inside telling me to go, go to the front, go now. I moved to the front for prayer and I was broken. I felt like I completely surrendered and all the stuff that was preventing me was being shattered by God. I felt renewed, refreshed and my slate wiped clean. A beautiful phrase. I was crying like I've not cried since I was a young boy. And then he goes on to say, I couldn't believe how much the burden of worry, shame and guilt had been washed away by God that swept through the place. Went on to say that he'd never slept so well in years. He can't make that kind of thing up. I mean, that's, that's not, this is not weirdo psychological phenomena. This is God touching people's lives. I've got another one. Hey, this might sound weird, but last night I was broken in a big way. Words can't describe the baggage and burden I was carrying, but I was broken. Uh, Carl's words about lies, guilt, and acting a, like a Christian but not being one, etc. As if he was staring straight at me, I wasn't because I've got astigmatism. I owe him a thank you, uh, blah, blah, blah. I, f again, I felt sick 
I couldn't breathe going into the prayer tent. I now feel at peace and truly feel God's presence. I've been given a Bible and tears have flowed all evening. But for the first time, I left my baggage at the foot of the cross and I've slept the best sleep I've slept in years. I can't explain what this weekend has done. What beautiful words, isn't it? From, from like blokes. These are, these are men. I mean, men, men don't watch Watership Down and cry. I mean, they don't, you know, they, they, they don't often act like this. But this is, this is God. The reality of God touching and changing people's lives. And one of the beautiful things that happens to me is I get to go back year after year and see these guys. So just as a little thing, women, you know, release your men to go to the gathering camp because they'll love it. You know, it's actually changing people's lives. But for those of you who have not come across this sort of stuff before... I, I cannot even begin to explain to you how powerful it is when we truly know Jesus, just what he does in your life. I'm, I'm not going to stand here and say that I've got my life sorted out because my wife would rapidly undo that statement because it's not true. I'm, kind, I'm full of all kinds of chips and weirdness. After Karen backing that statement up, my daughters were then shortly followed, followed by the dog and the cat. I'm not a work of perfection. I have all my chips and weirdness, but I know my saviour. And I know a peace in my life that transcends all understanding. I mean, not every morning when I get up at half five do I feel that peace, but I can access it because I know my saviour. I know Jesus and I met him. So I know it's real. When people say to me, how do you know it's real? Well, I met him. Not like physically at a bus stop, but something happened in my life on the 22nd of April 1990 at approximately 10 past 7. I went from being a rampant weirdo who wanted to join the army and jump out of planes and crash cars over ramps and to all of those things still, but now I'm a man at peace. Do you know what I mean? Something happened to me, something radically changed. I'm going to read you some verses which are... Stunning verses which were written hundreds of years before Jesus came. And then we're going to just give to you a couple of thoughts on it and then we can eat cake. This comes from a book called Isaiah in the Bible, which is a, a, a prophecy, a future foretelling of what Jesus would do when he was nailed to the cross. Written hundreds of years before it happened. Actually written about the same time that the Spartan Empire was at war with the Persians. If you've ever watched the film 300, this was written at the same time. Anyone seen the film 300, the Battle of Thermopylae? There we go. This was written at exactly the same time as that. How cool is that? But the other side of the world. This is about Jesus. He suffered and endured great pain for us. But we thought his suffering was punishment from God. He, Jesus, was wounded and crushed because of our sins, sin being all the rubbish stuff that these guys were talking about that takes our sleep away, takes our peace away, the stuff we accumulate. I don't know about you, but I think we can very easily accumulate rubbish. There are things that I can feel bad about that I've done or thought. Anyone else ever find themselves in that situation on a daily basis? Well, that, the Bible calls that sin. And that it has to be dealt with. It says, by taking our punishment, by Jesus taking our punishment, he made us completely well. All of us were like sheep that had wandered off. We'd each gone our own way, but the Lord gave him the punishment we deserved. What that's saying is, that I, I don't know about you, but I have lots of opinions about lots of things. And I often think I know how to lead my life better than anyone else. Does anyone else think that everyone else is mad apart from you? That's the thing, isn't it? We all think we know best. 
Well, the Bible says actually that's not the case. God knows best. If you want to live your life your way, have a good go. See where it takes you. As my wife keeps reminding me, my opinions are not often the best ones. But God knows best. But when we try and do our thing, our way, it can go Pete Tong very quickly. Can it not? Well, I find that. Each of us, like sheep, have wandered off and gone our own way. For God, it must be like herding cats who've been lobotomized. It must be so tough. Look at people thinking they all know best. Nightmare. He was painfully abused, but he didn't complain. He was silent like a lamb being led to the butcher. As quiet as a sheep having its wool cut off. Like the image of Jesus being led to the butcher. He was condemned to death without a fair trial, and so it goes on. He wasn't dishonest or violent, but he was buried in a tomb of cruel and rich people. The Lord decided his servant would suffer as a sacrifice to take away the sin and guilt of others. And then it says at the end, Others thought he was a sinner, but he suffered for our sins, our stuff, and asked God to forgive us. So what happened to these guys that I, I read out these emails and text messages? They're carrying stuff that's robbing their peace. They live life their own way. They think they know best. Then they hear the truth about Jesus, and they go forward to receive him. And the Bible says that when we look at Jesus on the cross, all that stuff, the mess, the rubbish, the junk we accumulate, the rebellion, the things we do that offend and hurt other people, the things we do that mess ourselves up, all of that was smashed into Jesus' body on the cross. And we, we call it the great exchange. All of our rubbish we put on him. And that's not just an academic thing. That's, that's a spiritual thing that actually happens. Which is why a bloke can stand in a field full of mud, in the cold, and commit their lives to follow Jesus, to surrender to them 100%, and then sleep so well in a flooded tent. Because peace has come. It's not just a work of fiction. It actually happens. Wiping the slate clean. And what a beautiful feeling that is. And as a Christian, it's something we have to do, I think, on a daily basis. But what an amazing thing that anything you've done, when you give that to God, you can go completely free, slate wiped clean. It might take some stuff, some time to undo some things. There might be some things that you have to face up to. But what an amazing thing you can be at peace. Incredible. I remember when I was baptised, actually, there's verses in another book of the Bible called Romans. And chapter 6 talks about baptism. It says, in baptism, we are buried to the old life. And then when we come up out of the water, it's symbolic of resurrection because Jesus didn't stay nailed to a cross. He was put in a tomb and the Bible says he was raised again after three days to show that death and all the muck had been defeated and wiped out. And when I was baptised, I can remember going underwater and feeling clean. The reason, the reason that we dedicate here is that we believe that baptism is an adult decision. And in September, we will be baptising some people. And we have a big, for those who have not seen this before, we have like, it looks like a hot tub. And we, we stand in it and we 
push people under. Depending on how bad they've been, we hold them under for different lengths of time to get as close to death as possible. And then we pull them up out of the water and they're raised to new life. And it is symbolic of, of death and resurrection. But I can remember my baptism being pushed under the water and being pulled back up and feeling clean inside. Not on the outside, because there was a film of scum on the water, actually. <laughs> but on the inside, I felt beautiful. I just felt cleaned up, which is why we do it here. It's what, I mean, churches have all got their different traditions, but, but for us, it's what we do. It's a symbolic thing, but it was very powerful for me in my life. It's not just a vain psychological tool. It is a beautiful thing that the Lord does. It cleans us up when we come to Jesus and we surrender our lives at the cross. A spiritual thing happens, but then something else happens. Just a couple of quick points. The second thing is you get involved in a life that is beyond personal satisfaction and self-satisfaction because you suddenly realize that this life is not it. Actually... There is another life to come. And this life, we start doing what God wants, not just what we want. That doesn't mean you necessarily have to give up golf, although I do think it's a strange and weird game, which I gave up when I was 26 and felt totally released ever since. It doesn't mean you give up your hobbies or nice movies that you like to see or start being all weird and intense. We're not some puritanical weird thing here in this church. We do like to celebrate life, particularly with cake, pink cake, it seems today, uh, quite appropriately for Elodie. But it does say to me, the Bible, that we now live for God's purposes. And it is a question, what are you living for? I mean, it's a rhetorical question, really. What am I living for? What actually are our lives about? I think you can be anything you want. You could be, an, well, not an assassin, but you could be an accountant. You could be a dentist, a doctor, a bin man. You could, you could repair steam engines. You could, you know, pick on something, be a nurse, repair classic car engines, run pantomimes. You could do all of those things. But what is the overriding drive of your life? You start to live for something that is beyond yourself. I felt quite challenged just over the last couple of days. I went to the, the men's breakfast. Uh, we men obviously liking to get together around saturated fat. Although I did just have poached eggs on toast at the Wetherspoons, which actually turned into hard-boiled eggs on toast, but it was delightful. <laughs> but while we were walking there, we went past a homeless bloke. And I was walking with John Boston, and John Boston just said, this is where the homeless guys are. And we actually walked past someone. And I've got to tell you, I felt a wave of something just sweep over me. I'm talking predominantly to those of you who come to Redeemer King on a regular basis. We don't live our lives now just for ourselves. We live our lives to work out God's purposes. And when Jesus started his ministry, he, he read from Isaiah, the book I just read, and he quoted it in Luke 4, and it said, the Lord's Spirit has come to me because he has chosen me to tell good news to the poor. The Lord has sent me to announce freedom for prisoners, to give sight to the blind, to free everyone who suffers, and to say this is the year the Lord has chosen. 
I've been dwelling on that since I walked past a homeless guy in Chesterfield near the bus depot. I don't live my life just for me anymore. When we meet Jesus, we start to live our lives for him. And we live our lives out for others as well. And I felt really challenged by that. I think, for those of you that don't normally come here or you may not even know what Christianity is about, you might now be thinking this is just abject weirdness. But let me tell you what I believe. I believe that every single person is of incalculable worth to God. Uh, To the extent we can't even conceive it. And Jesus' death on the cross really clearly spells it out to me. Jesus died for you. He died for the homeless bloke I walked past the other day. What a beautiful thing it would be if everyone in this church could see people as God sees them. Beautiful in the sight of God. What a difference it would make in our town if we really lived that out and worked out how we're going to do that. So we never walk past one of God's beautiful, precious creations without thinking what we're going to do about it. When we don't walk past someone with judgment in our hearts, but we walk past someone and we have love flowing out of our hearts because Jesus died for us, but he also died for them. And it's very clear to me in the Bible that Jesus loves the poor so much, like beyond what we can even dare to imagine. And he loves you so much more than you could even dare to imagine. That's why I died for you. But I started to think, could we live in such a way that our lives would be poured out for the sake of others in our town? Do you know what? I think that pleases the Lord when the church gets that in their hearts. We sort of eradicate judgment and weirdness and getting chipped up about things and we poured our lives out for those who are really bust up. And I know that's difficult because sometimes you help people that need help and it gets thrown back in your face and, and that can hurt a little bit. But Jesus was dying on a cross and they threw that back in his face. So I kind of think we've got an example to follow. I also think my reading of the Bible tells me that churches should aim to have something of a scandalous reputation because we're doing so many amazing things for the poor. And people look at us and say, look at that, that church is full of smelly people. I, I, I think there's something great about that. So I, I just want you to hear, if you don't normally go to church, that we're not just a bunch of selfish people who come here and eat cake. We love to worship God and we want to read the Bible and we want to do family together, but actually we also want to pour our lives out for God and do things that please God and we know that God loves the poor and he loves all people and he really loves you too and I think if we live like that God will bless this church the final thing I want to say is just a sense of hope that I carry that the Bible one day says that when we die we'll go to a place it says this in Revelation where there'll be no more weeping crying mourning or pain it says we'll be transformed in the twinkling of an eye and do you know what just thinking about a little Elodie I always think dedications are a beautiful thing and you get a little kid and you're praying a blessing over the baby. And, but I always feel a little bit like that's a bit of a poignant moment for me. You know, I often look across at my own kids who are like, a lot older now 
But I can still remember when they were dedicated in a church I planted back in the 90s, actually. Remember, like my mate came down to do the dedication and, and suddenly they're big. And life goes fast. It whizzes past at an alarming rate of knots. Freaks me out, actually. And sometimes I bump into people I haven't seen for 20, 30 years and it freaks me out. Because I think in my mental image, I've not aged a day. Because you, know, you have a mental projected image, don't you, of yourself. Sometimes it's a bit of a shock when I look in the mirror. But I still think I'm 18. Now, I've got a daughter who's nearly 18. How freaky is that? Now, I was just standing in the corner watching Dan and the family and Elodie. I thought, that's going to that's, that's gonna happen for you, you know, and your kids. You, in the blink of an eye, they'll be like all grown up and costing you even more money. You know, I want a car, I want a pony, you know, that sort of thing, it's going to happen. But then, if the Lord is so gracious to me that this might happen, one day, my kids might be standing around me while I'm on my deathbed before I, before I pop off. Well, they, well, they might. Unless I, and I get some like, instantaneous death, my family might be gathered around me and What then? I, what then? You're just like a, a photograph on a hard drive? Well, what about my kids? If there's nothing else, what are they? Just memories on a digital photo album? Forgotten? I don't, I don't know my great-great-granddad's name. I don't think I've ever seen a picture of him. Like, if you come from really rich noble stock, you've got pictures of people going back hundreds of years. I think I go back one generation because we come from Dagenham. <laughs> so, what are we? Are we just a bunch of cells that exist on a random planet? And that's it? Are we made by a creator who loves us more than we could ever imagine, has actually planned? that life goes on beyond this. And I just ask the question, what you're living for and who you're living for and what are you all about? And I ask this to everyone here, what, what are we about? Because we will one day die. LED will one day die. But we believe as Christians that we will meet again. And this life will go on, which is why we invest into our kids, isn't it? And why we want them to be the best that they could be and why we desperately pray that our children will meet Jesus and why we're desperately trying to tell people in our town that they'll meet Jesus because we don't believe that this is it. The Bible says there's good news and there's bad news. The good news is we can go on and be with Jesus forever. The bad news is if we ignore God, then we put ourselves outside of God's reach. Well, my prayer is that loads of people place themselves in God's grip. And that's why it's so important here, just as a little finisher statement, that we create an atmosphere that little Elodie has every fighting chance to meet Jesus and all our kids and all our friends. That's why we must be the most gracious, welcoming, loving, truth-believing, worshipping, generous, all those things, people that we can be for the sake of those who don't know Jesus. And my prayer is that the Lord's face will shine upon Elodie and that he will be a major blessing over her life and we'll keep her every day of her life. And that one day, that we'll have the privilege of watching her being baptised. 
and and that she'll also multiply that that we will watch her telling her friends about Jesus. And that's what we pray for, isn't it? So just a few things, thoughts there, and maybe a couple of questions for you to go away with if you don't normally come to church. What is what is this adventure called life, and where does it all lead? For me, I made a decision to put my faith, hope and trust in Jesus. And I pray that if you're here this morning, you don't know what that's about, that you would you'd at least consider that very, very seriously and maybe come again and eat more cake and listen to what's happening. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for Elodie and thank you for the family who are here today. And Thank you that we believe as Christians and we, we notice that our life is in your grip. Our lives are in your hands. And you got us, and you love us. So much so that you sent your son Jesus to die for us and rose again and wiped our slate clean and give us new hope and a new future and a new destiny. So, Father, we pray you be with us this week. We pray we'd all know your blessing upon our lives, Father. And um, for those here who this might be a first experience, we simply pray your peace and blessing on them and their families too, Father. So good to be together. Um, and bless the rest of our time here this morning as well, we pray. And into the week, pray we'd know your presence in Jesus' name. Amen.